Hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys, most of you. And uh, just joking, just joking. Uh, hey, happy Father's Day to all you fathers and grandfathers. Um, if you haven't gotten that so far, um, happy Father's Day. I know somebody, uh, worship leader here, just said, turn around and say happy Father's Day to someone. So some of you without children were surprised that your dad's now. <laughs> somebody, somebody probably said happy Father's Day. So with this, I don't know if you guys, uh, as fathers, there's a gift from the, the ladies from Children's Ministry. There's beer um, for everybody who, who wants beer. I guess that's what we're doing here at Redemption, which is not surprising. So... There's a, there's a root beer that's out there for everybody and the gift that they have for you as fathers. Now, um, Father's Day, like Mother's Day, has this like range, right? So there's the fathers that are really excited here. They're here with their children. Um, the children are with their fathers. They have a good relationship with your father. Um, some of you, you've lost your father, um, and so you're not able to spend time with your father or um, the relationship that you have with your father wasn't the best or the lack of relationship um, and so forth. And so we acknowledge those reins of emotions uh, on this particular day, and yet it is still a day in which we want to celebrate our fathers, and it's a good deal. I feel like Mother's Day gets all the shine, and Father's Day is like, oh, it's Father's Day, let's not go to church. And so, but <laughs> today, today we get a chance to, to celebrate that. So um, I thought about this, okay, what do, I, what do I say about fathers? And so, one, my, my dad and I, as I've said before plenty of times, we don't have the best relationship by any means. Um, we talk. Um, I haven't seen my dad in a while, and so this past week, we were in California, and my little nephew was graduating from high school, and my whole family was going to be in town, and we were going to have a barbecue, uh, you know, it was about to go down. And so, uh, I told my dad, I said, you got to come up here and you got to spend some time with this. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go. Your mom's family's going to be there. I don't like them. And I'm like, nobody likes them. Why don't you just come anyway? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we haven't seen you in a while. My, you and your grandkids, your grandsons, my two boys, I haven't seen you to be a good deal. And uh, it was good because I got to really connect with my dad and have nice long conversations, uh, some funny conversations, some not so funny conversations. Uh, and this is how it goes down. Hopefully one of these days you guys get a chance to meet my dad. Um, I know you guys got a chance to see my mom and everyone thinks, oh, you're like your mom. When you meet and see my dad, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this dude is just like his dad. Um, I hated that forever. There comes a point where you just mature and you're going to where everyone's, you look like your dad. And you're like, no, no, I don't. I don't act like him. And then you're like, yeah, it's just going that direction. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop it. So a few things that I would say that my dad taught me. First, my, I, learned from, I learned from my dad how to welcome people. The one thing my dad's good at is acknowledging people in his presence. Like he's not one of those people that is not going to acknowledge you if you're in his presence. Now, it may not be the way that you want to be acknowledged, but he's going to acknowledge that you're there. Number two, I learned from my dad how to laugh. I mean, what I, what, I mean my dad is hilarious, right? If I have any sense of humor, it comes from my dad. He's He's hilarious. His jokes are hilarious. Wildly inappropriate, but hilarious, right? Um, number three, a lot, I, learned, I learned from my dad how to fight. My dad's a fighter. And not just physically fight, though that, that's true as well, um, but just the understanding of, like, dealing with what life gives you, right? You get perspective. So my, my dad, um, which I couldn't understand growing up, but, I mean, now you can really, really understand. Just if I look back, perspective is my dad... When he married my mom, my mom already had my brother and my sister. My dad was 21 years old, 21 years old. Um, they had me immediately, um, probably before they were married, but let's not talk about that. Um, and, and he had the education of a 10th grader. I mean, he dropped out of school after 10th grade. And just thinking about, like, how to, how, to, how to raise a family at 21 years old with that sort of education and still try to persevere, uh, I, I appreciate that about my dad. And lastly, my dad, being a very, very big, strong, strong individual, um, didn't fit the stereotype of a man who doesn't cry. My dad, I learned from my dad how to cry. Because when things were sad, he cried. If a movie was sad, he cried. 
I remember one of the first movies we watched, and you wouldn't think about two black people, father and son, watching Still Magnolia, but I was watching that movie, <laughs> dying. Like, not Julia Roberts, no. <laughs> right? Uh, and and any time there was a tragedy, like when he lost his mother, when he lost his brother, when he revealed those things to me, there was a sense, there was a, there was a raw sense of emotion, and it wasn't, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't weak by any moments. And so me and my dad, has our, we have our differences. There's no doubt about it. But being able to say, I can acknowledge that, and we can acknowledge the things that we have from our father, whether we have a good relationship or no relationship. Um, it's the life that God has given us, so we try to live into it as best as we can. Amen? And here's the deal. We got a perfect father in the Lord, um, and that's just not a Christian transition, but it's a good one. And so we are looking at the scriptures today, and I thought, how can we connect what we have in the text today to fatherhood? So I took some of my favorite uh, sayings from spiritual fathers. There's men in my life that appointed me to Christ as an outline for our sermon this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 14. Um, Acts chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our very, very great ushers will walk down the aisle and then get you a copy of God's Word. Just raise your hand and keep it raised really high. And if you don't own a Bible, just keep the one that we're handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 14. And so here's the sayings that I have that's going to outline our sermon. The first one is, say what you mean, mean what you say. All right, this is from Tim Mon, um, who mentored me for a long time. He's a lead pastor, not Redemption Gilbert, um, and we'll talk about that. Say what you mean and mean what you say, meaning what you say, if you believe it, back it up and follow through with your life. Number two is be glory reflectors, not glory absorbers. So when it comes to glory, don't be one who just kind of absorbs all the glory, but how to reflect it back to God and ultimately understand what it's coming from, and we're going to talk about that. And lastly, finish what you start. Like, finish what you start. If you start something, finish it. Um, and understand what does it mean to be a finisher. And I think for us as dads and as men and as women and, and everybody in this room, that's something that we could really, really, really grow in. And so we'll look at those three things as an outline as, as Luke here and in, in, um, in Acts continues to show us the mission of the church. So before we jump into God's word, would you guys bow your heads and let's ask God to bless our time and uh, reveal the scripture to us. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and through Christ how we can call you Father. The Father that we were truly lost at the fall, separated from you, and God, you've called us in Christ, Lord, that we are now adopted into your family, that we are sons and that we are daughters, and that you truly are our perfect father, and you've given us your perfect son. So God, let that love shape and fashion and form us as a people. Jesus, we ask now that by the Spirit that you would illuminate the word, that we would understand, those of us in this room, what it looks like for us to live continuously on your mission, to understand the opposition that comes when we live for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to understand the hope that is found in and through your son, Jesus. Father, so we ask that you bless our time this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we're going to start first here in chapter 14, verse 1. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Now, in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Okay, so let's pause there. So if you can remember, they is going to be Paul and Barnabas. So if you rewind a little bit, because that's how you rewind, shoulders into it. You rewind, a few weeks ago, they were in Antioch, which was the sending church, and they were praying and they were fasting, and as they were praying and fasting, God said, set apart these two, Paul and Barnabas, and I'm going to send them into the mission in which I want. So they went on what is known the first missionary journey. By the end of chapter 14, they'll get to the end of that first journey, and they're going through several cities. Now they're in Iconium, which is modern day, a portion of Turkey right now, and while they're there, they go into the synagogues. This was custom and this was something that, a pattern that you see with the missionaries here are those who were called and sent to preach God's word in different places. 
And so when they would go to the synagogue, because they would start on common ground, the common ground was in the synagogue, the scriptures, the Old Testament, was being taught, and people believed in the one God of the Bible. Now, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that in his death and his resurrection, the kingdom of God had entered in and then God was establishing his reign here on earth and that the way of salvation was not through observing the rituals um, of Moses and looking and going to the temple, but the way of salvation was through believing in Christ and primarily through those central events, his death and his resurrection. And so there was, there was, there was common ground in that they believed in God, and so Paul would come in in the synagogues. And it worked for him because the people who were allowed to teach in the synagogues were those who had been Pharisees. So he had the, he had the credentials because he was a teacher. And so Paul would roll into a place. He would listen to somebody teach. He'd be like, nah, it's not really that good, but I'm going to come back in and clean it up for everybody. So he jumps in, and then he would say, this is how this particular text in the Old Testament points to Christ. So he's saying something that he means. And the one thing you'll see from the Apostle Paul, from Barnabas, and the men and women of the New Testament, they believe this. Like, church is not an event for them. Um, Being a Christian is not some loose identity, but it's a belief in the sovereign lordship of God, primarily seen through Christ, empowered by the Spirit. Therefore, they give their lives for it. And when you say what you mean, people don't always have the responses that you want for them to have. And that's exactly what happens here. First, they say what they mean. And that is, in and only in and through the life, death, and resurrection, the ascension of Christ, the sending of his spirit, that men and women have hope that God is redeeming all things through Jesus. And by faith, both Jew and Gentile can become one and become a part of the family of God. And what we read here is in verse 1 here is that many Jews and many Gentiles begin to believe this. They begin to understand this. Now, if you say what you mean, you got to mean what you say, meaning there's going to be pushback. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So what happens here is the good news goes for Jews and Gentiles believe. And as we said this, and Luke keeps showing this in Acts, whenever the gospel is um, is proclaimed, that's not even a word, is proclaimed and preached, you put them together. (laughs) Got to shorten the time here, right? Whenever the gospel is proclaimed or it's demonstrated, there's going to be opposition. So in other words, there's always going to be haters. And haters are going to hate. Hate, 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 right? So right here, Paul says, shake them off. (laughs) So there's unbelieving Jews, and it says they stirred up in the minds of the Gentiles, and what that means is they were causing them to do evil. Not just to say, don't believe what they're saying, but there's persecution here, like, do evil against them. And because they're at odds, and the odds is that the synagogue was saying the way God's going to redeem is through the temple. And God's going to come back, and it's a very ethnocentric understanding of what God is doing. Where now Paul is saying, no, God has come in Jesus Christ, and it's not just ethnocentric. He's come through the Jewish people, but he's come for the world. Hence why Jews and Gentiles can get in on this. And now, no, God is not moving primarily through the temple. He's moving through the gospel. It's not a place in which you have to go to worship. You worship God wherever you are in spirit. And so there's opposition that's there, and they don't want any part to do with it. But Paul and Barnabas just don't flee. Like, they don't just get out of Dodge. There's oppositions, and they stay there. And they receive it because they believe it. They, they really mean what they say. Um, and they say what they mean, and they mean it in the sense that they mean what they say. They follow through. Verse 3, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness 
to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, cities in Lyconia, to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So here's what happened. They stayed for a while. They said, we don't care what you guys say. We're going to continue to this. We don't care what you do to this because this is massively important, this thing called the gospel, and the kingdom of God is being established here. This matters. And it says that now there are people who are being raised up, but God was showing forth the gospel through signs and wonders, that whenever we preach the gospel, God always backs it up. Like, God is the one who works through. It's not so much about the messengers. It's always about the message, that we just become vessels in which God uses and when we believe in this and we live, and belief does not just say I'm a Christian, but we proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate it in every area of life. And there's going to be pushback, 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 pushback. So they came to a point where people said, we're going to believe in the, the non-believing Jewish. Some people said, we're going to believe in the apostles. And there was just a divide there to the point where people got so upset. They said, we're going to stone Paul and Barnabas right? So that's when they left. I mean, for the, they, they were up to it. They were, they were holding strong, strong, and they said they're going to stone them. And don't think stones is like they're just going to throw some rocks at them and say, hey, stop doing that. We're going to throw some rocks at you, right? Stoning would be the equivalent of like getting shot. Like they're going to shoot them. And not like this, like this. Like it's about to get real, right? And so Paul, Paul and Barnabas were like, we got to get out of here, all right? So God causes them, leads them to another city, hence the mission. If you begin to see how the mission works, very few times God speaks through him through the Spirit and says, go to this place. Almost always the gospel is advanced is through persecution. It's through men and women who love God, submit themselves to the gospel, and that things are going on. And through their perse- uh, perseverance of the gospel and their belief in Jesus, that God continues to further his plan. And so that's what happens here. First, say what you mean and then mean what you say. And essentially, if we're going to say those of us in this room that are Christian— like, let's live it. Not something that we can have comfort, not just something that we can escape from things, but to live it in such a way even when there's loss and even when there's pushback, even when there's opposition. Amen? Second thing is, be glory reflectors, not glory absorbers. And we'll talk about this. Verse 8. Now in Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, who was the whose temple was in the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring good news that you should turn from these vain things into a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from the heaven and fruitful season, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So the scene is, they now come to this new city. 
The first opposition came from within, from the religious. <coughs> now they go from a predominant Jewish place to they go to a predominant Gentile place. They go from a place that's religious, that has an understanding of the God of the Bible, to a place that has no understanding of the God of the Bible. They start first here in the temple, or excuse me, in the temple of the synagogues, and they start here in the public space. And Paul just begins speaking. And he's talking about the gospel and who God is. And as he's talking, he sees this man who has not been able to walk. Um, and, this, and he looks at him, and he can tell that this man has faith to be healed. Meaning there's something about this man that he believes that the God in whom Paul is talking about can heal him. And so Paul looks intently at him, and he tells him, get up and walk. And the man gets up, and he walks. And I guarantee you it's amazing, because the way the language communicates is, Almost as he's never walked, or at least he hasn't walked for a long time, and it says when he rises and he walks, that he continues to walk. And so he's probably dancing, right? If you haven't walked for a long time and you get up and walk, you're doing some stuff you ain't, you know, you like, check this out, right? So that's what's happening right now. He's very excited, and then the men of the town and the women, they don't know what to do with this. And so, unlike the first group, or most of the groups we've been talking about in Acts, they have an understanding to say God did this, because they understand God to be one. But when you come into a polytheistic or um, just in terms of a pluralistic faith a community, a place that believes in a bunch of different things, like where we live and the city we live in, that you have to be able to clearly say who God is, or people will look at the things of God and attribute it to something else. And that's what happens here. So they see this and they go, wait, this man just got healed. That's amazing. This is dope. They're gods, right? Like, because in their mind, they believe in multiple gods. So they say, Barnabas, you know what? He's Zeus, because Zeus was like the head god. And Paul, he, he's, he's Hermes, because Hermes was the god that would interpret things. And since Paul was teaching, like, that's who he is. And they called up the local priest, and they said, hey, local priest, this is us. This just happened. This man's walking. This is ridiculous. Um, who's like, who's over there? He's like, Zeus is over here. Hermes is over here. It's going down, right? So this is what we need. We need to bring some oxen, and we need to have a sacrifice. But they say this in Lyconian. Paul and Barnabas, and neither do we, speak Lyconian. So when they find out that they're being a, like they're saying they're gods, they flip out as they should. You know why? Because they care about the reverence and the worship of God. And they don't want to take any part of it. They don't want to take any part of it. They knew what they were able to accomplish. They were able to accomplish in the power and the strength and the word of the power of Jesus Christ. So they ripped their clothes like, they ripped their clothes off. Now, that was a sign and a symbol in the Old Testament of any man, uh, I think women, but that would be a little different, but for any man that would, 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 when they would hear blasphemy, like, there's blasphemy, and there was a love and a respect and a reverence for the name of God that he should get all the fame, that he should get all the glory, that he should get all the praise, and not just with lip service. And so now that they're preaching the gospel and God's continuing to work through signs and wonders through them to authenticate the truth that God is present here, reigning and returning and redeeming all things, and they say, oh, you're the God. They're like, we want no part of it. No part of it. Here's, here's the thing. Here's what's wrong with you, and here's what's wrong with me, right? The Bible says that we are sinners, right? There's, there's no way to dumb that down. Like, we're sinners, and people say, we're broken. We're broken, yeah. We're broken because we're sinners. We make mistakes. We make mistakes because we're sinners, right? And the thing is turned upside down for us. And we actually live more in an upside-down world, and we look at the kingdom as being upside-down, and really it's the way it ought to be. But sin has so affected things that it's affected our worship. And the way that we show ourselves to be sinners is not just in the actions that we do, but the way that we worship. 
Like we were created, you and I, we were made to give praise and worship. And it looks different in different ways. And praise and worship is not just singing and so forth. It's giving your life to something that you find value and significance in, that gives you identity and purpose. And so what Paul says in Romans 1 is, what we've done is, instead of worshiping the creator who created all things, we actually worship his creation. We worship the creature. We worship things we can make. We worship our performance. We worship our vocation, our children, etc. And so we have a worship disorder that we can see the good things that God has given, but we don't know how to give it back to him, so we, give it, we absorb it in ourselves, we give it to something else or someone else, but never to God, and that's a problem. It's a worship disorder. And so these men and women here are going, you are Zeus, you are Hermes, and Paul's like, no, 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 we're talking about Yahweh. He's the creator. The flip side of that is, we are people who are not made for glory. Hear me on this. When you look at the word glory in the Old and New Testament, it literally means weight. Like something that's, that's, that's like a brilliance. Like something that's very weighty and heavier than you. And glory is something that we've been made to give. The problem is what sin does, it distorts our worship and our affections that we actually now receive glory. And we become glory absorbers. It becomes a problem. And so this is just my work in theory. Um, I think it's biblical that we see it in, in like pop culture, entertainment, athletes, and so forth, that you ever notice a man or a woman, like they get so famous, like they almost crack, right? You're like, what happened to this person, right? And I don't want to call any particular famous person out. I do, but I'm not. Um, but you see it all the time, and you're going like, and we will say things like, oh, man, they had all the beauty, they had all the money, they had everything. Like, what happened? They were not made for that. And I'm not saying you're not made to be good at things that people don't acknowledge you for being good. No, that's a good gift, it's taken the good gifts of creation, your intellect, your skill, your creativity, whatever it is you have, and using it in such a way that it rolls up to praise. But when you actually don't use it as praise, but you actually absorb it, you don't know how to reflect it, right? You don't reflect God's glory back to him, then it gets weird for us, right? And I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying find a way to reflect glory and it becomes really awkward, right? If you're a barber and you cut hair and every time you, you know, you fade somebody up real nice or something like that, give them a little part, make them look nice, right? And they, and they go, oh, wow, nice haircut. Oh, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. His spirit went through my clippers, right? <laughs> no one's asking you to be weird, right? No one's, no one's, hey, the guy gets out of your seat like, oh, I ain't going back to him anymore, right? You high? Like, oh, off the spirit. Like, and it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. It's finding ways that you know how to reflect the glory. If not, you will absorb it, and it will feel good, right? And then the language is you fill in yourself, right? And some of you guys are like, yeah, I know what that means. Other you guys, is, it's okay, right? You, you absorb the glory, and you crack because we're not made for that. We're made to be able to take the gifts, every perfect gift and every good gift that the Lord has given, and whatever vocation and whatever family, whatever relationship, that we can use these gifts in such a way that we give glory to the Lord and we love the people around us and we bless the people around us. And Paul and Barnabas are trying to say, no, we are not those people. Like, we are not God. And they appeal to them on creation. Like, they got to go back to the very beginning of the story. With, with, with the Hebrews, they go into the synagogue and they say, you already know this. Let me tell you how Christ completes this. To the pagans, or those who were completely apart from the gospel, they go all the way back and say, no, no, we are just like you, he says. Like, we are men just like you. Like, we are broken and busted just like you. Like, we like to say we are sinners by nature, right? And we, we are sinners by nature and by choice, and we are naughty by nature. That's the phrase. It's the phrase, right? 
they go back to creation and say, we're just like you, but we know God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Like you're trying, to, you're trying to worship creatures when you should be worshiping the one that created these creatures. That everything that you see around here, this God created. And he's trying to give them saying, you got to get out of religion in a sense of pejorative way, something you can do to appease the gods and understand the good news he says we give you. That God has already given a sacrifice through his son and so you just have to step in that acceptance. So in essence, all you need to do is accept his acceptance of you. It's good news. What you're saying is something you need to do in order for God to love you. And what the gospel says is that God already loves you, and he's done something for you by giving you a son that you may step into his covenantal love that he has for you as a loving, caring father. They go all the way back to creation. They say God created this. Because here's the deal. You and I, they're trying to tell them, we're created in God's image. Whether you're a Christian or not, you are created in the image of God. And you are made to reflect that image in everything that you do. And what sin does is, if you think of being created in the image of God as a mirror, what sin does is it, it's like if someone takes a baseball and throws it into that mirror and shatters it. And, and even though it's shattered, it can still reflect a little bit. That's why you have people in this room that don't know and love and follow Jesus that can still do beautiful, good things. That people that don't trust Jesus because they're still creating his image, and so he's got his imprint on them. So the goodness of the Lord can show itself in things called common grace. So Paul talks about here. He says, he's given you food. He's given you rain. That whether you fall or not, he gives you these good things that we can, we can enjoy beauty, that we can enjoy our taste buds, that we can enjoy relationships. It's common because it's given to all people. It's grace because it's from the Lord. But he says, but there's another grace that's called the special grace or a saving grace. Um, there's a revelation that's special that finds its amen only in the person of Christ. And what the gospel begins to do is take the love of the Father and the work of the Son and by the Spirit take those pieces of the mirror and put them back together that we may collectively best be able to reflect the Lord, not absorb the things that are given to us, but give it back to him. Amen? The people who are the most dangerous for this to happen, to be absorbers, are those who have any position of leadership. Any position where you do something to somebody else or for somebody else, and they're going to come back to you and say, you are amazing. I don't know what I would do if you weren't in my life, right? And it's okay for them to acknowledge the gifts that you've been able to do. It's good for them. That's called saying thank you. But if you begin to think that somehow that came from you, started with you, ends with you, that's a problem, right? No? <laughs> right, 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 you we go, just making sure you guys are, you guys are like, oh, I'm taking that glory. Problem, <laughs> right? And I say that as 300 of you are looking at me, and I'm higher and above you because I got an ego problem. I built this stage so you guys can look up to me, right? <laughs> it's not true. But there's a sense of going, that is just real, and we cannot be glory absorbers, or we will crack all of us. You see it everywhere. It's not just outside of the church. It's inside the church. It's called pride. It's the very thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven. So we, we say, Say what you mean, mean what you say. If you say you believe in Jesus, let's live it collectively as a community. If we are called to be God's people, there's no way that we can absorb it. We gotta be reflected in every area that we can. And we also go back to creation and realize we're creating his image to bring glory to his name, but also to use the gifts that we have to worship him, but also to serve the people around us in a way that shows forth his love. Amen? The last one here is just be a finisher. Start, finish what you start. I think that's something that is so hard for us. We're so easily distracted. I'm the most distracted person in the world. I was going to bring a fidget spinner up here. 
just so I can stay focused. <laughs> and a beer that we were handing out. It's like between the two of those, I'm, I'm good. Root beer, root beer. So finishers, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch to Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we had, excuse me, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's what you have. Starting something and finishing something. You have Paul who gets stoned. Earlier, when he was, before he left Antioch and so forth, he's about to get stoned. They leave. These same people that are out to get Paul, they're still after him. They find Paul, and now they stone him. Again, this, they, they, in their mind, they came to kill him, and they did. Like, in their mind, we killed him, we're done, he's dead. Um, fortunately, he wasn't dead. God was not done with him yet, right? We used to sing the song in the church growing up, please be patient with me. God is not through with me. Yeah, some of you guys like it. Some of you guys are like, we don't know that song, Ricardo. <laughs> next week, next week we're going to sing that song, right? Please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. And there's a sense of well, we will have words in our, in, our, in our culture. We'll say things like, what would you die for? I think it's easier to die for something. It's a lot harder to live for something. Because to live for something meaning that you have to have some sort of perseverance. That you got to be willing to do the same things over and over again. You got to be willing to do what's right because it's right, even though it doesn't feel right until it feels right. <laughs> you got that? All right? Like there's a sense of like just endurance. Paul gets stoned. He could have been like, hey, you know what? Some people got saved in Iconium. Some people got saved in Lystra. That dude got healed. I'm checking out. Um, I'm out of here. No, he comes back, and the next thing he does is like the, the believers come alongside him. They nurture him, and he's like, they're like, where do you want to go? We don't want to go back to Antioch. Let's go back to Antioch. Let's go where these people are from. Like this is, like this is when people like mob movies, they like Western movies because they like the tough, the tough guys. They like gangster movies because they like dudes. This is the most gangster Western mob movie ever, right? Because he, he gets stoned and he hops up. This is like a rapper. They're always talking about getting shot. He's like, I got stoned. Can you see Paul rapping like that? I got stoned, came back, preached the gospel, right? Like this is, this is, this is like, this is this sort of stuff. And he gets up and he goes back and he preaches the gospel. Here, here's, here's what we don't understand sometimes is that when we give our lives to the Lord in response to him giving his life to us, that we're called to something that we don't just get in and get out of. Our whole life is given to this. That there's a passion and there's a zeal that goes along with this, whatever it is that you put your hands to do. And, and if we just, just break it down a little bit, first we think about this. First place that we think about being committed and starting and finishing for us is God's done the work that we can't start and we can't finish. He promises that. He says, he that begin a good work of salvation, which we cannot do, um, promises to finish the work. So he starts it and he sustains it. We, in response to that grace that he's given us, every relationship, um, every friendship, every covenant that we enter into, we reflect, again, that sort of love. So men and women, when you enter into that covenant of marriage, like you are in, entering into that to live for it, right? 
Not to say, oh, I'll die for it. That, that's amazing, but you can also just be in a relationship and passively be just going along. So if I'm talking to my wife, because I do, and I say, okay, what, what, what would be some fears you have? And one of the fears we have is that we make sure that we don't live parallel lives. Meaning we may not be at each other's heads and so forth and arguing all the time, but there's a way in which you can live in parallel lives where she could be running this lane and I could be running this lane and we could both be going forward, but we're not connecting. To start something and to finish it is when you stand up there on the altar and she looks at you and you look at her and you say, girl, forever, or however you said it, right? That means forever and constantly pursuing that person in the way that God constantly pursues you. That if you started something, that you finish it. The same is true, not just for marriage, but any relationship you have. For those of us who are part of a covenant community in Christ, that you become real friends. Like, we do a good job at being friends when it's funny, when it's, like, good social environments, um, when it's a good time. But when there's brokenness that's in, gets set in, we get awkward. Like, we don't want to deal with it. That if it's something that's sinful, we don't want to look at something and say that's sinful. We just go, oh, we hope the Lord does something. No, no, the Lord is going to do something through you. Because you're friends, because you're brothers, and because you're sisters in Christ. Like the way Paul was nourished, it didn't just say Paul got up. It said the brothers wrapped themselves around Paul. There had to have been some sense of encouragement. Something like, Paul, we're going to help you get healed, and we're going to be here for you, because that's what we're called to do, to be a community. We start something, and we finish it. That's not something that I would say that we're marked by as a people, and especially as a generation of the, 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 the predominant demographic of this church that we start something and we finish it. Um, Paul shows us an example of what that looks like, that whatever it is that God's called him to do, whatever it is that God called Barnabas to, be, Barnabas to do, until God took him out, they're going to they're gonna do it. They're going to do it. So they're not going to just lay down. They're actually going to finish something. Amen? So I got two stories that conclude with this. One is just a funny story. The other one's a good story. So <laughs> what makes you think about this is um, old mentor of mine talked about it. He played football at NU. In AU, and um, he's like, oh, the lineman and D lineman have to go out and do some drills before practice, but the practice field wasn't available yet, and he's looking for some field space to, like, get some drills in. And if you know anything about where NAU is, next to NAU's football field, practice field, there's a, uh, it's a cemetery there. <laughs> and so the, 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 the uh, coach is like, and, you know, coaches are crazy. Uh, the coach, like, hey, hop the fence. And so he hopped the fence. He's like, all right, let's get some drills in there. The player's like, no, 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 no. We're not, no, like, no. And the coach just seizes the moment to try to communicate not to be quitters. He goes, guys, all right, that's all right. Do you know why these men are here? Right? You know, coach, do you know why these men are here? And they're like, uh, why? Because they quit. Right? <laughs> it's like a favorite story. Where it's like, no, they died. Like, like, they died. They died. You know what I mean? It happens to every one of us. <laughs> so the moral of the story is don't be a quitter. <laughs> and then there's this story. Probably six months into my walk with the Lord, I got a chance to hear, I was at a missions conference and listen to someone talk about uh, those who go and share the gospel. And they talked, this guy was telling the story um, of an African man named Joseph and how he had wandered away from this village and he'd heard the gospel. He believed in Christ. And he got, man, everybody in my village needs to understand this. Everybody in my village needs to hear this. So he goes back to his village and he goes to every tent and he knocks on the tent and he, and, and he, or whatever you do to get people's attention in the tent, he knocks some rocks together so they can hear him, right? <laughs> and then they come out, he shares the gospel with them. They hate it. To the point where the men hold him down and the women actually get these thorns and put him on this leather strap and they beat him as the men hold him down. And he finds himself outside the village underneath the water hole and he gets himself healed. And he thinks, I must have said it wrong. It's too good. I could, something, I must, something I must have done wrong. 
He goes back to the village. He does the same thing. The same thing happens. He finds himself left for dead, again outside the village, and he thinks, okay, I got to go back. He's so relentless in this because it's so good to him that the lordship of, the, of, of Christ is so powerful that it truly is good news that these people really need to know. They just must have didn't hear it right or they would get in on it. So he goes back to the village. He does the same thing, and they do the same thing. However, he says this time something was different. As he was fading to black and passing out, he noticed that the women began to weep. And when he woke up, the same people that had beaten him these, peri- these, these few times were the same people that were nurturing him back to health. And they said, there must be something about what you have to say that means a lot, that you would be willing to go through this. So we want to hear. And they listened. And the whole village came to know and trust in Jesus. This is a story that's shared. What Paul is communicating here is our neighborhood and this city does not come to know the Lord apart from us being willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. To be able to understand that God has not called us to comfort in our lives, but he's called us to comfort in the spirit as we live for him and the life that he's given us. That when we say what we mean and mean what we say, there's a follow-through in which we have. That when our lives are that God is blessing us in such a way that we can bless others, we don't absorb it and become prideful, but we give it back to God in serving others. And lastly, the work that God has called us as a church in this particular city, we finish it only in his power and only in his grace and only in his love. Amen? Listen, when it comes to a Father's Day for us, there's no way that our earthly fathers could be God. No matter how good they are or bad they are, our fathers are not perfect. And you know what? Neither one of us are perfect sons and perfect daughters. What fuels the mission of God for us as his people is that in God, we have a perfect father. And though we are imperfect sons and daughters, he's given us the perfect son in our place. In order that in believing in him and following him, that faith in his son, empowered by his spirit, gives us the the motivation and the sustaining power of God to do exactly what it is that God has called us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, that we could be called into your family, that we could be saturated by your spirit and by your love. Lord, I ask that you would give us zeal for your church and for your kingdom and for the flourishing of your kingdom in this community, throughout this state, throughout this country, and throughout this world. The Father, that we would be able to understand what it truly means to follow you and grow in that collectively to proclaim your name in ways that men and women would come to know you and that men and women who know you would be strengthened in their faith. God, help us to understand that mission is not an activity of the church, Lord, but it's a character of who you are as God and that we only participate in it, Lord, as we believe and trust and follow Jesus. God, we ask that you would guide us and that you would fill us and that you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.